Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Welcome to this Bible lesson. Who is Jesus Christ? At Barah Ministries, we know this truth, that Jesus Christ is God. As I taught you last week, the Lord, Jesus, the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, was speaking to a Samaritan woman at Jacob's well. At that time in human history, the Jews wanted nothing to do with Samaritans because they were half-breeds. Half-breed, that's all I ever heard. Half-breed, how I learned to hate the word. What would you say about Cher? Yeah, she left the building. Uh, Cher left the building? Okay, then I won't sing anymore. But anyway, the Samaritans were half-breeds, half-Jewish, half-Gentile. And in addition, it was quite uncommon for Jewish men to speak to women in public especially if they were strangers. Therefore, the woman was quite surprised to be engaged in an intimate conversation with Jesus. John chapter 4, verses 25 and 26 say this, The woman at the well said to Jesus, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ, and when that one comes, he will explain all things to us about what is to come. John chapter 4, verse 26, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Jesus is Jesus Christ is God, the Son in human form. Now some people recognize this truth and some people reject this truth. The woman at the well recognized Jesus as the Christ. But when she went to tell the men of her town about her experience, she was less than direct with them. John chapter 4 verses 28 and 29, she said so the woman left her water pot at the well and went into the city, the city called Sychar, and said to the men, Come, see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? Well, the way she asked the question expected a yes answer. When the men came to meet Jesus for themselves, here's what they concluded in John chapter 4, verse 42. The men were saying to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this one is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. You see, there are people who recognize the Christ, and there are people who reject the Christ. So after inspection, these men made their own decision about the Christ, and they came to the right conclusion. Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. Many other people come to this world who, after being presented with the facts about Christ, come to a wrong conclusion 
that sentences them to an eternity in the lake of fire. And that is pretty sad. Well, why does Barah Ministries exist? At Barah Ministries, we introduce people to the Lord. We make a difference by teaching the Word of God verse by verse from the Lord's perspective and not from man's perspective. Barah Ministries is provided by God for the benefit of unbelievers to give them the gospel message, the good news concerning Jesus Christ's salvation offer. Barah Ministries is provided by God for the benefit of Christians as well, those of us who want a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with the Lord through the daily study of his word. Well, why do we study the word of God? The Apostle Peter makes it clear in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 to 18. Here's what he says. Our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him by God, wrote to you believers in Christ. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16. And also in all his letters, speaking about the same things over and over in his letters, in which letters are things that are hard to understand. Peter had a little difficulty understanding initially, and Paul came down and ripped him for it. And then all of a sudden his understanding was crystal clear. Which the untaught and unstable distort, that's what the untaught and unstable do to Scripture. They distort it. They use it for their own benefit. They twist it and turn it, which is why it appalls me when people are talking about, oh, Joel Osteen, oh, John MacArthur, oh, this pastor, oh, that pastor. Who are these guys? Who are they? They are nobodies just like you and me. They didn't invent anything. They didn't invent scripture. The Lord did. And if their opinion about what that book says isn't exactly the same as what the Lord's opinion is, they're wrong. And that's that. But that's people. Oh, look at the person. Oh, look at his sweet, pleasing personality. Oh, he's got to be right. And, and a lot of these teachers are teaching false stuff. And people buy it, hook, line, and sinker. And then they come in here and they start comparing what I'm saying which is straight out of here, to what they learned 15 years ago and haven't updated once. I've got a buddy in Chicago that I've known for years, and I, I, I just love the guy. But every time we talk, he's talking about stuff he learned spiritually 20 years ago with no update. And I just spend all my time on the phone beating him up about it. And then he gets butt hurt. <laughs> Why are you yelling at me? Why do you treat me like this? Update your spiritual life. And that's what this lesson today is going to be about, about an updated spiritual life. So, look, when we want to know God, we go to the Bible. We don't go to people. Because people who are teaching the Bible are only useful to the degree that they tell you exactly what's in here without their opinion added. My opinion and $2.40 will get you a cup of Starbucks coffee. I am not here to give you my opinion. I'm here to give you the truth. And you can check. You don't have to guess whether I'm telling you the truth or not. You can check. And if anything I'm saying in here doesn't correspond perfectly with this, believe that. Not me. Amen? Amen. All right, so end of rant. So...
So 2 Peter 3.16, in all his letters, speaking about the same things over and over in all his letters. Why? Because people need repetition. In which letters are things that are hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, just as they distort all the rest of Scripture as well to their own destruction. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 17. You, therefore, beloved, you believers in Christ, you divinely loved ones, knowing this beforehand about what's to come at the end of human history, that's what Peter is talking about in 2 Peter 3, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men. That's false teachers. And fall away from your secure position in Christ through doubt. Does that mean you're going to lose your salvation when you fall away from your position? No. You're not going to lose your salvation. Once you are saved, that's it. You cannot lose your salvation. And anybody tells you 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 can is lying to you. Period. And I'll back it up with 90,000 verses in here. But here's the thing. When you believe, when you're a believer in Christ and you're going to heaven and you listen to false teachers, it makes you doubt the victorious ground that you stand on. It makes you doubt your position in union with Christ because at the moment of salvation, you're placed into union with Christ and there is nothing you can do to get out of it. Amen? There's nothing you can do to get out of it. Oh, but what if you turn around and kill 5,000 people? You're going to jail. That's what. But you cannot lose your position with Christ because he's not like everybody else. He's not like human beings. He doesn't turn his back on you at the, sign, at the first sign of anything negative. Amen? It's not like that. We're going to find that out today, too. So, I guess I wasn't finished with the rant. 2 Peter 3.18, here's the payoff verse. Instead, instead of following the unprincipled men and false teachers, be diligent to keep on growing within the sphere of grace and to keep on growing in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Notice the continuous action of that verse. Keep on doing it. Keep on doing it. Don't stop. Don't think you have it. Don't park. Grow. By means of grace. That's why we study the word of God. We study the word of God to grow in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we implore you to keep on learning about the Lord and to always compare what you learn, both at Barah Ministries and in the world, with what the Bible has to say. And that's not just an invitation for Christians. That is a responsibility. But God has an enemy, Satan, whom God made the ruler of this world. In John chapter 12, verse 31, the Lord says, Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world, Satan, will be cast out. He will be dethroned at a future time. I was talking to a friend of mine this week, and he didn't know that Satan is still in heaven pleading his case. But in the tribulation period, which is the next period after the church age, three and a half years into it, Satan and his demon angels will be expelled from heaven. But right now he is in heaven pleading his case, and his case is that God is unfair and unloving. He is a liar and the one who keeps on fathering that lie. Satan is like a cockroach. When a cockroach finds food in your house, he invites all his buddies to invade your house as well. And Satan is the exact same. When we give him an opening through sin, 
He invades the soul through false teachers with their false teaching, looking to wipe out the confidence that we get from the Word of God implanted, replacing it with fear, uncertainty, and doubt. A buddy of mine was reading about uh, reading in, in the Gospel of Matthew about wealth, and he happens to be wealthy, and so he was very concerned that wealth was more important to him than Jesus, only He's a believer in Christ. See, and that passage is talking to unbelievers. It's not talking to believers in Christ. And, you know, there's a reason that the, the soldiers were trying to divide up Jesus' garments at the bottom of the cross. They weren't raggedy. <laughs> Amen? They weren't trying to, to divide up some raggedy clothes from a homeless guy. It was a beautiful, gorgeous, purple robe, the robe of a king. Why? Because he is a king. They wanted it, and they, didn't, they wanted it so badly that usually they would you know, divide it up into pieces. They weren't even going to divide it up into pieces. It was so priceless. So God has no problem with you being wealthy. God has no problem with you being totally prosperous. And if you aren't, it's probably your mindset and your work ethic, not what God wants for you. Amen? But they're all of us. We're all over the board. There's some of us believers in Christ who is po, and there's some of the, us believers in Christ who ain't. I've been on both ends of the spectrum. I'll tell you which one I like better. <laughs> I did not like being po. You know what my mom's favorite expression was? We can't afford it. I, I said, in one of my anti-goals, I said, I don't care what else happens to me in my life. When I grow up, I am never going to say I can't afford it. Even if I can't afford it, I'm never going to say it. So anyway. The, <laughs> thank you. <clears throat> so anyway. <laughs> the Apostle Paul warns us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27. Do not give the devil a single opportunity. Do not give that cockroach a foothold in your soul. Today's lesson, the Lord's Supper celebration. Do you know the person you worship? Do you know the person that you worship? When we hear about or read about the speculation of unbelievers about the Lord Jesus Christ, speculation such as he is not God, he is like a God, he is a messenger, he is a teacher, he is a prophet. He's a good rabbi. When unbelievers say that stuff, it doesn't bother me at all. Even the ridiculous things that they say don't bother me. Like, how could a loving God allow the Holocaust? What makes you think that was God? God made promises to the Jewish people. And he's going to keep those promises. He isn't going to then turn around and kill off the Jewish people. That's, that's just a stupid contention. Doesn't bother me. Or he was secretly married to Mary Magdalene and was having sex with her and has a baby by her. Stupid. His teaching on sexuality are anti-nature and completely out of date. These are things that unbelievers actually say. When I went to look up all the things that unbelievers have to say, you wouldn't even believe it. The, the list was so long. If I, if I just wrote that list, I could do a lesson. Because 
Jesus Christ is attacked all the time. Why? Do you think that there's any connection between attacking him and the fact that everything that we're saying about him and we know about him is true? I think there's a connection. Well, why don't these things bother me when unbelievers say it? Because the Bible makes it clear where unbelievers are coming from. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says this, A natural man, the unbeliever, the sukikos man, that's the Greek word, does not accept the things of the Holy Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit of God is the one who leads us into all the truth. Unbelievers don't, don't accept the truth. They're foolishness to him. And he can't understand them because they're spiritually appraised. So unbelievers don't bother me. But when I hear a believer in Christ entertaining notions like you can lose your salvation or you can lose fellowship with God by sinning, you can be removed from your union with Christ by committing sins that are paid for at the cross. That is the stupidest thing I have ever heard in my entire life. There is no foundation for it biblically. And people who think that don't want to hear anything that you have to say about it, nor do they want to hear what the Bible has to say about it, and they base it all on one verse in a passage that they have never studied. First John. Never studied the passage, but based their whole thing on it and say you can lose your salvation or that you can lose your fellowship with God or, stupider, when you sin, you're out of fellowship with God and your prayers don't get above the ceiling. In other words, God stops listening to a believer in Christ who's on his team, who is his child, who is his heir, who is his possession, because the believer sinned a sin that's been paid for at the cross. It makes zero sense whatsoever, but that's what believers believe a lot of time. And that used to boil my blood a little bit. As believers in Christ, there's no reason we have to be that stupid when we have the Word of God telling us a completely different story. Well, I should say this used to make me mad until recently when I realized that believers in Christ who believe these things have no idea who the person they worship is. Do you know the person you worship? Do you know the person you pray to? Do you know him? Do you know him intimately? Do you know about him? Can you describe him actually to people? Well, in today's Lord's Supper celebration, you'll be introduced to a God who specializes in the impossible. What I call a God of un. All right, so let's hear some music. The prophet Jeremiah says it well in Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 6. There is none like you, O Lord. You are great and powerful is your name. As his servants, we believers in Christ, run the race of our lives that is set before us. And rather than being encumbered by the world and its perverted thoughts, according to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, we believers in Christ are to keep on fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who kept his eye on the door set before him, enduring the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God the Father. The group Culture Club, I'm sorry, the group <laughs> Culture Club, I went, I went right back to the 70s on that. <laughs> 
The group Jesus Culture reminds us that our almighty God loves us unconditionally, and that unconditional love has a name, Jesus.
Love does have a name. His name is Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. We're grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, thank you for your response to our prayers because we know you are a God who specializes in the impossible. We know that you love to answer prayers and you love to fulfill dreams and you love to perform what we consider to be miracles when for you all these things are is just a routine day at the office. Teach us to have absolute confidence in you. Teach us how to pray without limits. Teach us how to dream bigger dreams. And remind us that in your eyes we are completely adequate, deeply loved, totally forgiven, and surrounded by your grace and your peace. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Amen. The Lord's Supper celebration, do you know the person whom you worship? Do you know the person whom you worship? Well, welcome to the Lord's Supper celebration. It's a regular monthly occurrence when believers in Christ set aside time to think about the deep, intimate, and personal relationship we have with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As we reflect, we look back to the cross, the most intimate moment in divine history, and we remember the Lord's words in John chapter 15, verse 13. He says this, Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. The Lord laid down his life for us at the cross. He was buried And on the third day, he was resurrected from the dead to prove that he is who he says he is, the sovereign God of the universe who holds all things together by the word of his power. Every month, we obey the Lord's command in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, which says this, As often as you eat this bread representing his body, and as often as you drink this cup representing his blood, as part of the Lord's Supper celebration, You proclaim as a reality, and you announce the significance of the Lord Jesus Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead until he comes again at the second coming. In this sacred celebration, we commune with the Lord. We enjoy the elements, the bread and wine, and as we do, we remember our dependence on the Lord Jesus Christ both for our physical sustenance and for our spiritual sustenance. See, one of the things that happens during the course of our lifetime is we start thinking that the blessings that we have came from us. They don't. Everything you are and everything you have came from the Lord. And just because you forgot did not change that irrevocable fact. What a great question for believers to consider in today's lesson. Do you know the person that you worship? And when you pray, do you even know who you're praying to? Do you know how he looks at your prayers, what he thinks about your prayers? I have had family members attribute their thoughts about me to me thoughts that don't describe me at all 
I've been in relationships where the way people describe me makes me wonder why they would ever want to be in a relationship with a person that they're describing. My conclusion is that some people are in a relationship with others who don't know them at all. I think there are people in a relationship with others who go into a coma and they don't see the changes that the person that they're with makes. They don't ask the person that they're with a question. Like, who are you today that you weren't the day I married you or the day I got into a relationship with you as if we don't change, as if none of us change? And there are people in my life who have an opinion of me from 10 years ago, and that opinion is frozen, and they haven't let any new data in, not that there wasn't new data available, They just haven't let any new data in, and they still hold that same lousy opinion that was wrong then and is wrong now. And you have the same thing happening with you. There are people in your life who just don't know you, and that's not all. They don't want to know you. They don't want to take the time to get to know you. And some of those people live in the very same household with you. Some of those people you are related to. Some of those people are the the people that you're closest to in your life. Amen? And it's sad. So, if what I'm saying is true in our relationship with people, it's certainly true in our relationship with God. So I ask you, believers in Christ, do you know the person you worship? Do you know the person you pray to? Do you know intimately the person who went to the cross to die for you? This is the person that we celebrate today. The God we celebrate today is what I call the un-God. You remember that there's Coca-Cola and there's the un-Cola 7-Up, right? You remember that at all? Yeah, this 1970. I went back there again. Yeah, you, you, you whippersnappers, get on YouTube. You'll, you'll see it. Just type in un-Cola and you'll see a 7-Up commercial. But... The God we celebrate today is what I call the un-God because he is unrealistic, he is unlimited, and he is unconditional. And there are a whole lot of other uns if I had time that I could give to you that he is. And un, of course, means not. He is not limited. He is not realistic. He is not conditional. Thank God. I think it's important to keep on reminding you who it is that you worship. I think it's really important to keep on reminding you who it is you pray to because I think when you remember who the Lord is, you can change the character of your prayers and your life. Because I listen to your prayers. I listen to your prayers. You know, we have a little prayer circle. I'm listening. I may have my eyes closed. I may be munching on a donut. But I am listening to you. I'm listening to your prayers. And our prayers are so realistic. Our prayers are so limited. I think the only prayer I've heard that's unrealistic is Pat said, hey, c- hey God, can you give us the three million already? <laughs> we want to build a building. What are you waiting for? Which is a completely unrealistic thing for a ministry this small. But we ask for really, really realistic things. You know, there's some people in, in the prayer circle who pray for things like the salvation of their children or the salvation of a parent, or the fact that God could get through to an Alzheimer's patient. And he can. 
a buddy of mine was telling me about the final days of, of his grandfather being on earth. And he, he just had a feeling and he took off from work and he was hanging out with his grandfather. Now his grandfather hasn't said a word to anybody in 10 years. To nobody. Because he's got Alzheimer's. And he bends over to kiss his grandpa and tell him that he's got to go to work. And his grandpa says, that's okay, and used his, uh, the, the nickname that he used to call my friend from childhood. How did that happen? Because that's impossible stuff. He didn't make that story up. That's what God does. Can God get through to an Alzheimer's patient? He can Can God get through to a lifetime uh, religious person? He can. Can God get through to somebody who's negative? He can. Look what he did with Nicodemus. Nicodemus had been studying. This is John chapter 3. Nicodemus had been studying scripture for 20 years and knew every word, word for word, memorized it. In John chapter 3, and the Lord laid one on him. Hey, you want to get to heaven, you have to be born again. Nicodemus almost swallowed his tongue. What? 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 You, you, what, what, what? Yeah, you have to be born again. How can this be? Can a man enter into his mother's womb again and be born a second time? Ha ha ha! Knocked him out. Nicodemus is a believer in Christ. Nicodemus is somebody you're going to meet in heaven. God can do anything. He does the impossible. He specializes in the impossible. And when you start to realize that as a believer in Christ, and you stop trying to dumb him down, you're going to have a whole different life and a whole different spiritual life. Our un-God specializes in the impossible because he is unrealistic. What is somebody who is realistic? That is somebody who considers reality only to be the things that exist. Put that up. A realistic person only considers practical things, things that are known. You know what a realistic person is? It's a person who's created a little box for their life and runs around that little box like a mouse running around in a little box. And that's what we do. We create this little box life That is not at all the life that God wants for us. And then we run around in our little box, our little comfort zone. God wants you to have a worldwide-sized comfort zone, a universe-sized comfort zone. Because he wants you to take advantage of him. People who are realistic bore me. Because in my mind, I'm just being realistic. It's code for I'm dead but not buried yet. Amen? Let me say it again in case you didn't hear me. I'm just being realistic. It's code for I'm dead but not buried yet. How badly do you want your dreams? You keep talking about your dreams, but do you trust God to deliver them? That's my question for you. Do you even know who it is you're praying to? Do you know who it is you're worshiping? You're not talking to some guy. You're talking to the person who can do anything and always has and always will. The person who created the very earth that we walk around on. Every intricate detail of that earth. 
If you investigated the ecosystems that are involved in keeping you breathing every day, the ecosystems that are involved in keeping the atmosphere non-toxic for you, and that God is doing that, the, the power that it takes to keep stars from colliding with each other. Now, we don't want to think about any of that, and we don't want to believe any of that. What we want to believe is global warming. When we want to hear, believe as politicians who are lining their pockets and their friends' pockets with this green initiative where they're saving the planet. They're saving squat, except their savings account. That's what they're saving. They're saving their savings account while they're busy robbing us of ours. Amen? I'm going to get my first social security check next month. Get this joke. Get this joke. So I'm going to get $3,000 a month, all right? But they're going to take out $500 a month right away because I make too much money to pay for my medical premiums. Then they're going to tax it, and then because I'm still working, I get to pay back in, so I get to pay myself, pay for my own stuff again. Isn't that beautiful? (laughs) It's beautiful. You know what? I'm so mad at myself. I'm so mad at myself for not thinking of a scheme like that. That's beautiful. You give people money and then you make them give it back to you. That's awesome. That's so exciting. And, and, and I work for that. Paid, paid for years into it. Oh, yeah, put it in here. You're not going to get taxed. And then we get taxed. It's beautiful. What a phenomenal scheme. I love that. It's so sophisticated. It's so satanic. It is. The people who were put in place by God to protect us, robbing us. That's what happens. Oh, you being political. No, I'm not. I'm being realistic. (laughs) So, look, realistic is what people choose when they've had a lot of their dreams shattered. And rather than blaming themselves for their shattered dreams because they didn't prepare well enough or because they didn't wait long enough for their dream to unfold, they blame fate and then they quit. Our God is unrealistic. Was it realistic for Mary to think that she would have a virgin birth? (laughs) Was it realistic for Mary to think she would have a virgin birth? Hardly, but she did. Luke chapter 1, verses 30 to 34, the angel said to her, an angel talking to her, is that realistic? The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call, you shall name him Jesus. Luke 1, 32. And he will be great. Hang on, I think I went too far. Well, one too far. No, it's just missing. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. He will reign over Israel. And Mary said to the angel, being realistic, how can this be since I am a virgin? Mary was being realistic, and the rest is history. Nothing is impossible with God. Is it realistic to think that the God we worship was resurrected from the dead? Hardly. Yet he is. Luke 24, 
verses 1 to 6. On the first day of the week, a Sunday, at early dawn, the women who were the followers of Jesus came to the tomb, bringing spices which they had prepared to anoint his body so it would not stinketh. Luke 24, 2. And they found the stone rolled away, a huge, heavy stone rolled away from the grave. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men who are angels suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing, dazzling white, Luke 24, 5. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead ones? Luke 24, 6. Jesus is not here, but he has risen from the dead. Amen? Our unrealistic God did what most to this day considered to be impossible. He was resurrected from the dead. Is it realistic to think that God has the power to part a sea? And would he do this to save the Jews? Exodus chapter 14 verses 13 to 16 say this, But Moses said to the Jewish people, Do not fear. Stand by, put that up, Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, who are pursuing you, you will never see them again forever. Why? Because these were believers in Christ, and those Egyptians are going to be in the lake of fire. Amen? Never see him again forever. Exodus fourteen fourteen. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Exodus fourteen fifteen. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. Exodus, Moses was praying there. Exodus fourteen sixteen. As for you, Moses, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, and the sons of Israel shall go through the midst of the sea on dry land. It was said by God, and it was so. And they are still finding pieces of chariots under the Red Sea from the Egyptians whom God buried there. You pray to a very unrealistic God. Are your prayers unrealistic? Are your prayers unrealistic? No, they aren't. You know why? Because you don't know who you're praying to. You're praying to yourself. You're praying to your limits. You're praying to your small little box. You're not praying to the sovereign God of the universe who can do anything and who, who is on your side. I wrote down, when I started praying about this, I wrote down 15 things about Jesus that I know about him immediately. You know what the first one was? He is for me. So who can be against me? He is on my side. You want to do something to me? Have at it. Because my big brother will pop you in the chops. Amen? He's on my side. He works everything together for my good. It's just verse after verse after verse after verse about who this God is that I pray to. This God that I know intimately. This God who loves me. This guy who took this God who took a ghetto boy. Just to get him out of there was enough. To get me, to keep me alive every day so that I could go to college was enough. 
And he's still doing more today to take me all the way through Roman Catholicism, all the way through systematic theology for 50 years and land me smack dab in the middle of grace. What a God. What a God. To take me out of the ghetto and travel me all around the world. There's, there's virtually no place that I can go in the world where I can't get a free dinner. Amen? Man, why am I staying around here? I need to get, I need to get back on the road. All right, maybe Russia. I haven't been to Russia yet. Maybe I can't get a free dinner in Russia. But I could use my charm and personality, I think. Because the Russians are kind of kind people. They're kind of gruff on the outside. But they're kind people. Do you know the person that you worship? We have an un-God. And he is unlimited. Is it realistic to think that, you, that he can heal you when the doctors tell you you have 17 months to live. That's what they told Pastor Farley. Pastor Farley has stage 4 cancer. Pastor Farley was told that he has 17 months to live and we're 15, minutes, 15 months into it. Do you think that Pastor Farley's going to die in two months? There is no way. I'll cut off my leg if that happens. There is no way. Because we don't, we don't have a, a realistic God. We don't have a limited God. We have a God who can heal anybody anytime he wants to. We don't listen to the medical community. Do you know the person you worship? Psalm 103 verses 2 and 3 say this. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Psalm 103.3. The Lord who pardons all your iniquities. The Lord who heals all your diseases. I called Pastor Farley last week and I told him, hey, Pastor Farley, I want to call your attention to a very little known Bible passage. Do you have a moment? Well, he got all excited. Oh, a little known Bible passage. I want to know. And I said, it's a passage that describes what happens when we become face to face with the Lord. He said, what is it? I said, well, you get four hours to do anything you want before... He wipes your memory, except the memory of the people that you know. But you can do any, any bad thing that you want during that time. And I said, you know what the first thing I'm going to do is? He said, what? I said, I'm going to find you and I'm going to punch you in the face if you didn't tell me everything that's true about your health condition here on earth. If you're keeping anything from me, you're going to be the first person I find. I'm going to punch you in the face. He said, you shouldn't waste your time on that. I said, then tell me everything. (laughs) And I said, and the second person I'm going to find is Aesop if he's up there. And I'm going to punch him in the face. The fable guy, you know, and they lived happily ever after. I'm punching him in the face too. Because they didn't live happily ever after. But then he told me everything. And he told me about this, you know, stay... It, it hit me. It's like, yeah, he's got stage four cancer. He's had two outbreaks of cancer. He's got a medication that's keeping him alive. And the medication, if it's working, would take him down to about 200 of whatever the count is that they're counting. But he's at 60. And the doctors are going, how did that happen? Oh, gee, I don't know. Maybe we have an ungod who's not realistic and not limited, and who's powerful. 
Maybe. Maybe the doctors don't know what they're talking about. You have a God whose unlimited power confounds the medical community. Is it realistic to think that God can protect you from every circumstance? Is he so personal that he would care about you personally that much? You never think like that. You never think that he thinks about you personally that much. He thinks about you. This is the first thing he thinks about every day is you every day. Psalm 91, verses 1 to 7 say this. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High, he who dwells in the protection of the Most High, will abide, will live in the shadow of the Almighty. Psalm 91, 2. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. That's doxology. That's praise to our Almighty God. Psalm 91, 3. For it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. Who's the trapper? People who are trying to, to lead you into uh, uh, some kind of a trap so that they can hurt you. He rescues you from that. Pestilence, the stuff that's going all around us like COVID. He protects us from all that. Psalm 91.4, he will cover you with his pinions. What are pinions? Gears that lead, that steer things. He will steer your life. Under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. What's a bulwark? A big wall. Psalm 91.5. You will not be afraid of the terror by night, and you will not be afraid of the arrow that flies by day. It doesn't matter. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, he is on your side. Psalm 91.6, nor will you fear the pestilence that stalks in the darkness. You're not going to fear the things that are hiding out that you don't know about yet. See, there's still people walking around with masks on because they're still scared. You know, the, 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 the threat of COVID is gone because all it was about anyway was getting Trump out of office. The threat's gone. You know, we're expected to believe that basketball players can cough on each other, scratch each other, sweat on each other with no masks, but we're in danger. We're not. And I'm not saying that that there isn't a COVID, and I'm not saying that people didn't die from it, and I'm not saying any of that. But a lot of this stuff is a joke, and you're going to find it out later. You don't have to take my word for it, because Scripture tells us about what the deceiver does. So you don't have to take my word for it because I'm not going to stand up here and tell you my opinion. Well, I might. (laughs) But that doesn't happen to be it. Thank you. You will not fear the pestilence that stalks in the darkness nor of the destruction that lays waste at noon. He's on your side 24 hours a day. Psalm 91.7. A thousand people may fall at your side and 10,000 people may fall at your right hand, but none of these things shall approach you. Is there a God that can protect you from everything? Is God so intricate that he could pick you out of a crowd of people who are being slain? Yes, he did it for me. Is it realistic to think that God has already provided everything you need, everything you want, all the desires of your heart in eternity past and you just haven't seen it yet? 
Philippians chapter 4, verse 19 says, Yes, my God, the Father, will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches for those in union with Christ Jesus. When we return from the break, we'll take the offering, we'll enjoy the elements of the Lord's Supper, and then we'll finish up our lesson on our un-God, unrealistic, unlimited, and un-one-more-thing. Take a five-minute break. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. All my life I've been told I belong at the end of the line. With all the other not quite, with all the never get it right. But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time. Cause I'm just a nobody, trying to tell everybody. All about somebody who saved my soul Ever since you rescued me You gave my heart a song to sing I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus when Moses had stage fright And David brought a rock to a sword fight you picked 12 outsiders nobody would have chosen And you changed the world Well, the moral of the story is Everybody's got a purpose So when I hear that devil start talking to me Saying, who do you think you are? I say, I'm just a nobody
Welcome back. The Lord's Supper celebration. Do you know the person you worship? Do you know the person you worship? When the apostles went forth with the gospel message, the Lord told them to take no provisions with them. The Lord wanted them to know that he would provide, and he did. He encouraged the apostles to be generous rather than worrying. Matthew chapter 10, verse 8 says this, Freely you receive the gospel message from God, freely give the gospel message to others. Because of your generosity, people all over the world who have access to the Internet can receive the gospel message free of charge. Our all-powerful, omnipotent God can direct hearers to our website so that they can get an accurate gospel message. Today, my prayer is that God the Holy Spirit opens your heart with a spirit of generosity. It is my sincere hope that he gives you a burning desire to provide your treasure as the means of distributing the gospel message through this ministry so that it can be enjoyed by people all around the world. Deacon Denny Goodall is on vacation with his family. Please, please pray for their protection and their safe return home. So we won't be hearing one of his inspiring offering messages, but we will hear the offering song while I go out and put the guilt trip muscle on the people who are here in the resident <laughs> congregation. <laughs> Everybody's giving something today. <laughs> Hit it, Zachary. Have you been praying and you still have no answers? Have you been pouring out your heart for so many years? Have you been hoping that things would have changed by now? Have you cried all the faith you have through so many tears? Don't forget the things that he has done before. And remember he can do it all once more. It's like the
You just haven't seen it yet. My new favorite song, the Lord's Supper celebration. Let's enjoy the Lord's Supper's supper elements. Bread and wine. The Lord gives us these things to remember him. We will enjoy the elements together in a few moments as we listen to the Lord's Supper song. Obeying the Lord's command, we keep on celebrating Christ regularly. We eat bread to remember who he is as a person, and he is the only sovereign God of the universe. We drink wine to remember his work on the cross, the voluntary sacrifice that he made to deliver us from sovereignty to sin. And we remember with gratitude what God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ have done to save us. Luke chapter 22, verses 14 to 16 say this, When the hour had come and his crucifixion was set for the next day, Jesus reclined at the table and the apostles reclined with him. And Jesus said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall not eat it again until all that it means is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Luke chapter 22, verses 19 and 20. And when Jesus had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is being broken for you. Keep on doing this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, Jesus took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup, which is poured out for you, is the new covenant, the new testament in my blood. Let's keep eating this bread. Let's keep on drinking this cup. And let's do both to remember the Lord. Let this celebration encourage our hearts and our minds filling us with awe and reverence and gratitude. And let's keep on being transformed by the Lord's life, his death, his burial, his resurrection from the dead, his ascension to God the Father, his seating at the majesty's right hand, and by the nourishment we get from his word, which feeds our souls. So what does God do when we make mistakes? What does God do when we sin? Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 and 9 tell us. Adam and Esha, that was Eve's name before she became a believer in Christ after the fall. Adam and Esha, after they sinned, heard the sound of the Lord God, Jehovah Elohim, God the Son, walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Genesis 3, 9. Then the Lord called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Do you know the person that you're worshiping? When we hide from God, our loving and compassionate God seeks us out. And here's June Murphy to sing one of my favorite of her songs, You Ran After Me. Thought to seek you out. What 
Thank you, June. The Lord's Supper celebration, do you know the person you worship? Do you know the person you worship? Well, best of all, we have a God who is unconditional. John chapter 15, verse 13 says this, Greater unconditional love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. And that's what we celebrate today when we look back at the cross. In this world, I am not loved. I am a laughing stock. I live a life of persecution. I'm a pastor, and people always make fun of me because I'm a pastor. Like one guy told me, why would you think that Jesus Christ is God, and why would you waste your life being a pastor? I'm black, and so I've told you the story about being black. I'm a minority, I'm colored, I'm a Negro, I'm a person at risk, I'm a, uh, I don't even, I'm so sick of all the, the terms. I'm an African-American, yeah, that's my favorite, as, as opposed to a full-blooded American. <laughs> I'm a Christian, even worse. Because people laugh at you if you're a Christian, especially around the world. And I have done work in a lot of godless places. I'm a divorcee. Oh, my goodness. How could that happen to a pastor? Well, any of these things would be enough for ridicule. But all of them, in combination, make me a joke to most people, including my family members. 
Most of my family members don't have the slightest idea who I am as a person. And truly, they don't want to know me because they enjoy judging me too much. John chapter 15, verse 20 comforts me, though. It says, Remember the word that I, the Lord Jesus Christ, said to you, A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, and they did, they will also persecute you. And if they kept my word, and some of them did, they will keep yours also. So I don't mind being a laughing stock. I expect it. I signed up for it. I know who I worship, and I know who I pray to. And when I meet him for the first time, I know the person that I'm meeting. I'm not going to be surprised. And if your reaction to this lesson is, oh my God, this is such a good reminder, then you, you really need to investigate your Christianity because you aren't thinking with the thoughts of the person that you're worshiping. Because this should not be a surprise to you. This should be something that's on your mind all the time, that you have a God who specializes in impossible, unlimited, unrealistic, unconditional things. And anytime anybody says anything to you that's different from that, then it should send alarms off in your soul. See, when I study commentaries about biblical passages, I know immediately if the person that wrote that commentary knows Jesus Christ or not. I know immediately. Because if you think that legalism is the Christian way of life, if you think that morality is the Christian way of life, if you think that the immoral people are worse than the moral people, if, if you think any of that stuff, you have no idea who Jesus Christ is. You have no idea who he hung out with. He was criticized consistently for hanging out with tax collectors who were 10 levels, 10 rungs below prostitutes. He hung out with tax collectors and prostitutes. Why, why would you do that? Well, because the sick are the ones who need a physician. Amen? That was his spiritual medical community. The people who are sick need a physician. All you special self-righteous people, you don't need any help. I'm going to go down here to the people who need help and want help. That's what the Lord did. He hung out with the homeless people. He hung out with the lepers. He hung out with the epileptics. He hung out with the people with autism before autism was even discovered. He hung out with all the bums. And that's why I'm so privileged to be a part of his family, because I'm a bum. And he likes me too. Amen? If a man thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Galatians 6.3. I don't think I'm special. You know, everybody, oh man, you're so smart. You're so special. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. I am what I am because of God's grace. That's how that happened. That's nothing special in me. There's nothing special in any of us. But our amazing God, this unlimited, unconditional, unrealistic God, loves us blindly almost. So I don't mind being a laughing stock. And when I meet him, I'll know who I'm meeting. He's the one who hung on a cross for me. He's the one we celebrate today. 
And so my question for you always is, do you know the person who you worship? Do you know the person you pray to? Do you spend any of your time getting to know him? And if you don't, what idol do you want to retire so that you can have the time to spend more time with him? Because we all have a lot of idols in this world. Well, the closing moments of our lesson today are dedicated to anyone who is here who doesn't have a relationship with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We want you to know that God wants you. And what he wants from you is that you make the most important decision of your life, the decision for or against the Christ. The sovereign God of the universe, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, wants a relationship with you. Do you have a relationship with him? And if not, what are you waiting for? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2 says this, You yourselves full well know that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. It will sneak up on you. The Lord doesn't want you to be surprised, though, and he certainly doesn't want you to miss out on your so great salvation opportunity. On the day before Thanksgiving in 1987, the news on the radio in my hometown, Chicago, Illinois, was quite shocking. Our beloved Mayor Harold Washington was dead. He was in a meeting in his fifth floor office at Chicago City Hall. He slumped forward, his face rested gently on the desk, and in a moment he was dead from a massive heart attack. I can remember the day as vividly as if it were yesterday. And what I remember most was wondering what it must have been like to get up that morning and as you're getting dressed, not knowing that in a few short hours you would be dead. All of us will die physically one day. That's hardly at issue. What we don't know is when we will close our eyes in this life. And my concern is that you may be one of the people who is walking around today completely unprepared for that reality. I was talking to a young man on a trip to Mallorca, Spain, who was quite unprepared. I asked him if he's a Christian. He said no. And I asked him why not. And he said, to tell you the truth, I don't even think about God. I appreciated his candor. And I told him I, it would be wise to think about God all the time. And he asked why. And here's what I told him. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22 says, All in union with Adam at physical birth, and that's every human being who comes to earth, are set to die the second death in the lake of fire. You were born physically alive and spiritually dead. And that's bad news. But the worst news is that you may not have even known that that is your situation. He didn't. The good news is that the Lord Jesus Christ paved the way to get you out of the predicament. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22b says this, Yet all those in union with Christ, all believers in Christ, will be made spiritually alive. They will be born again. I asked him, do you want to be saved? Do you want to spend eternity in relationship with the sovereign God of the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ? Because if you do, the Lord Jesus Christ provides the plan. Acts chapter 16, verse 31 says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. Right now, right where you sit, you can spend the gift of faith given to you by God and you can use this faith to be saved. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 say this, For by God the Father's grace you have been saved 
through faith in Christ for salvation. And that grace and that faith and that salvation are not from the source of yourselves. It's the gift of God the Father. So being saved is not a result of your works, deeds done in self-righteousness, so that no one may may boast about saving himself. Right now, the Lord Jesus Christ wants to save you. Funny thing about the young man I was talking to, he knew what faith is. He said to me, it sounds like you're saying, if I put my faith, my confidence in Jesus Christ, I will be saved forever. That's exactly what I'm saying. Faith is placing your confidence in the object of your faith. And when Jesus Christ is the object of your faith, you will be saved. And then I warned him, John 3.36, he who believes in the Son has the resurrection life right at that moment, but he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on you, on him. So how do you get to heaven? Right where you sit, right now, you can tell God the Father that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is the moment of eternal life for you. John chapter 14, verse 6 says this. Jesus said to the doubting apostle Thomas, I am the way to salvation. I am the truth through the gospel message from the word of God, and I am the resurrection life. And no one comes to God the Father in heaven but through believing in me. Well, who is this God who saves you? The Apostle Paul describes the Lord Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. It says, I, Paul, deliver to you as of primary importance the gospel message I also received from God, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the Scriptures. Won't you join me in heaven? If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ right now, then you certainly will. Mayor Harold Washington had no idea that he would not celebrate Thanksgiving on earth in 1987. Yet he was somewhere. He was either in heaven or he was in hell. And quite often my thoughts drift to the young man in Spain. I wonder what God the Holy Spirit chose to do with the seed of our conversation that was planted. I'm sure the Spirit knows how to get him saved, and I hope to see him in heaven. And here's the funny thing that hit me today as I was thinking about this. God sent a ghetto boy all the way halfway around the world to Majorca, Spain. What are the chances of that? To talk to that guy in that van ride from my hotel in Majorca, downtown in Majorca. He gave the perfect amount of time the perfect audience, the perfect message deliverer for that guy's soul. That's how intricate God is. Think about that. And that cost me a lot of money to fly over there, amen? (laughs) But God gave me the money, as June so aptly points out. (laughs) If you choose to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have no concern about the moment you close your eyes in this life. You'll be in heaven. And you'll have no chance to go to the lake of fire. So do it now. Don't let the day of the Lord sneak up on you. Well, let's close with music. God's plan for mankind is filled with hope. And hope in the Greek language means absolute confidence. Elpis. Believers in Christ have absolute confidence in a future filled with blessings, 
we have hope even when we encounter tribulation. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10 says this, After you believers in Christ have suffered for a little while, the God and Father of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in union with Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 says, Therefore, believers in Christ, keep on preparing your minds for action, which is obedience to the Lord. Keep on being sober in spirit. Control yourself. Notice the continuing action. Keep on fixing your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Christ Jesus. Keep on being determined. Here's June Murphy to remind us we have hope. In her song, There's Just One Hope.
I say amen to that. I, I know you're right. <laughs> That's so true. Only one way. Very unconfusing. Let's close with a doxology of praise to our God, words of worship for our almighty God. Psalm 95, verses 6 and 7 say this. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God. We are the people of his pasture. We are the sheep of his hand. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Therefore, my divinely loved ones, keep on being steadfast, keep on being immovable, and keep on abounding in the work of the Lord always, knowing that your labor is not in vain when you are in union with the Lord. Romans chapter 15, verse 13 says this, Now may the God and Father of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of God the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, thank you very much for the non-resident congregation members who join us today as they celebrate the Lord's Supper together up in the Pacific Northwest. And thank you for their loyalty to Barah Ministries and to this pastor and their contributions that help spread the gospel message all around the world. And thank you for this resident congregation, this group of trusted people who can be counted on. And when one of our brothers or sisters are down on their luck or or in a terrible situation who come through with their contributions to uh, both financial and, and emotional and spiritual to help the person through the situation. A friend when you're in need is a friend indeed. Thank you for being a God with no limits. Thank you for being a God with no conditions. Thank you for being a God who is completely unrealistic. And thank you for helping us know that through your power, we can do all things. And through Christ, we can do all things. The one who strengthens us. And through the enabling power of God, the Holy Spirit, we can know you and love you and trust you, and be confident in you that you are on our side. You are a God of grace and a God of peace. Bless us as we go forward. Open our spiritual eyes to those around us. Help us put others before ourselves. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming. Thanks for watching. And thanks for listening.